Hello and welcome to Mother's Voice Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our other events, you can go to weriseinlove.com. Weriseinlove.com. Hello everyone, this is Monsef Afker and thank you so much for joining us today in this new episode of Mother's Voice Podcast. Um, yeah, um, happy again to connect with you here and have you with us in this really beautiful space, very inspiring and mm. sacred space um, where um, mothers and speakers and teachers who, who join us to, to share their, their inspiring stories and also their teaching and message um, for you to be able to, um, how to say, to connect more with your own voice and share um, your truth, share who you are. Uh, more with with the world because it's it's really needed now. Um, and today we have with us Athea Davis, um, and she, she is a mindfulness educator at um, KIPP Texas Public Schools, and she's the author of today's gonna be awesome sauce daily meditations for youth, parents, and families. And she's the creator of the powerfully positive weekly classroom plus home resource. Um, and the affirmation plus art card deck, also called today's gonna be awesome, awesome sauce. And Athea um, owns Soul Sense Yoga, a mindfully infused education and leadership company, where she leads live mindfulness trainings and digital, and uh, she offers digital courses for leaders, educators, and um, parents. And she also hosts the Rising Education podcast. Um, which, which is called Mindful Living with Ethia uh, Davis. And now she lives with her superhero love family in Houston, mm -hmm. Texas, and is dedicated to spreading the awesome sauce sparkle here, there, and everywhere. And you can find her on her website, soulsenseyoga.com, soul, S-O-L, sense, S-E-N-S-E, yoga, Y-O-G-A.com. Um, yeah, so with that, Athia, welcome to the show. We're happy to have you with us. Uh, thank you, Mansa, for having me. I am so honored to be on your podcast show. Wonderful. And um, yeah, I shared a little bit of, of what you are doing. And I would love if you can maybe um, tell us a little bit more about your background, how you started this, and what's brought you to mindfulness and helping yeah. both the youth and adults. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's uh, someone just I had this conversation with a colleague yesterday and, and I was telling my story in a way they have never heard it. So maybe I'll take the middle of the road here. I can go long version or short version. But for because the question was asked, you know, how how did I come to do mindfulness work with youth, uh, with parents and, and educators? And, you know, she'd ask, like, was I raised this way? And I said, no, you know, I, I had something really tragic happen in, in my life. I was married for many years, have a beautiful son from that marriage. He is now 14. And my previous spouse loved, loved dearly, but he suffered from alcoholism. And I really got to the point in our marriage where as a mom, my now 14 year old at the time, he was around three and I, I made a promise and I made a promise to my, my son that the, the family pattern of alcoholism and intergenerational violence stops with me. And so I made a really 
tough decision to leave the marriage. And a few years after that marriage, my former spouse took his own life. And that, that tragedy of breaking up the family, going through the divorce, watching someone I loved so much just go down this very dark path into alcoholism even deeper was, was extremely painful. And, and then walking through the tragedy of suicide was painful personally as it just as a person, but also as a mom, as someone who has this beautiful boy that I had to now navigate this reality of why would someone, their father that they love so much, you know, do that, leave the, you know, leave this earth and and do that. And so it's, it's been a journey, you know, it's not a journey that will ever end. Um, but I will say, you know, that moment was pivotal for me where I, like I said, I, I made a promise to my older son that, that the family pattern of violence stopped with me. So I had to look at how I was showing up as a person and as a mother, what choice, you know, us in the healthiest way possible. So I really went through this huge transformation during that time, huge spiritual transformation during that time. And funny enough, you know, years, I I remember a friend, you know, saying, you should go try a yoga class. And I thought, no, yoga is not for me. I'm a runner. I have a type A personality. I'm like, that's too slow. I don't want to do stretching stuff. And it's so funny because now like my whole life, my whole life is committed to this work. And I, I went to that a class during that very painful time in my life. And I connected to something inside of myself that I have never connected to before. And I was curious and it felt amazing and it felt really good. I felt really peaceful, really, um, uh, so much of, I, I felt like who I was meant to be in those moments that I was stepping onto the mat going through this practice. And so that curiosity led me to become a yoga teacher, t- uh, to study with other yogis. And then ultimately, because I was a mom, I knew how powerful these practices were in my life and how I was using them as a parent that that I knew I had to, um, you know, teach these practices to kids. And then I became a certified children's yoga teacher and had the opportunity to work with a nonprofit to take these, uh, these tools into public schools. And I've been doing that for the past several years. And that, that moment in my life, that really painful moment was, you know, I think the spark that had me they, you know, I have a choice how to live my life and how I've been living it has been, you know, not the way that I, I want to raise my son the way I want to be a mom. And I had to make some really tough, tough choices. And, and this work has, has been such a light for me, a light for me as a mom and a light for many other youth. So, I mean, I do work with kids, but I particularly work with uh, youth and students that um, are in low socioeconomic status households um, at Kit Public Schools is where I'm at right now. And I feel like I identify with, uh, with kids, um, you know, that come from those kind of pain points. Even if I haven't been 
sidelined because of my race as a white woman, if I haven't been sidelined because I'm not a black woman or a black man or a brown woman, brown man, or some different sexual identity or different religion that's marginalized, I have a pain point of the tragedy I went through, even though it's not the same, but I can connect with that person on that level and know you know, that these tools can help us overcome, you know, these walls that we tend to put up within, you know, inside of ourselves. I'll kind of stop there. I, I, I may be rambling a bit, but. No, that, that, that was really, really amazing. Uh, thank you for sharing that. Uh, because like your experience with, with your ex-husband really bring us to um, the point, because sometimes when we try to understand others and we try to uh, be compassionate with them, sometimes we, we, we tend to sacrifice ourselves or people we love for that and feeling that we can save them. But um, like your story really inspires us that um, there is maybe at some point we need to um, to see if, 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 if like being compassionate with others and helping them, if it will affect um, us personally or uh, our loved ones like your, your son and then take decisions that will serve um, the best um, our path. And it, it can be challenging, like, like you said, but um, sometimes we need to take such decisions and honor yeah, ourselves. You know, it really is. You know, I remember at the time thinking, uh, you know, I, I went through these two alternative ways of thinking about my decision and, and how I thought about myself. Like, wow, I'm terrible because I'm not loyal. I mean, I'm, I'm, I was, I'm loyal to my detriment sometimes. And yet I knew that, you know, I loved this person so much, but whatever was happening in this relationship dynamic, it was not healthy for anyone involved. And it wasn't really Monsef until I, I got out of the marriage that I saw how bad the alcoholism was. I knew it was, but I was in it. I was really in it. Mm -hmm. And so it was hard to see. So, you know, anybody that's familiar with alcoholism knows that you're in a codependent relationship. And I, I didn't even, I wasn't even familiar with the term at the time, but once I realized that I, that things were not as I wanted them to be. And he, he didn't seem to be in a place to really want to change them at the time. I needed to spend some time away, meaning outside of that relationship, that, that environment, that context to really clear my perception of how things were really functioning in that relationship dynamic. And and I discovered that, you know, one, not only did that take a lot of courage, but I really discovered that it required a lot of love to do that. Like, I loved this person so much. And, and I remember one of the things that I said, you know, I said, like, I love you so much. I want you to be happy. You know, and I remember thinking, maybe it's just our dynamic. I don't understand. Maybe, maybe there's this mix and we just need some time away. But ultimately, after the divorce, it wasn't that he really went deeper into his alcoholism. And even through that, you know, I, I, I felt like, you know, I called it loving a person from a distance because certainly there's a lot of anger that comes up with any dissolution of, you know, a relationship like that. But how do you love from a distance? And I, and I really tried to practice that. I was not perfect at it. Um, you know, just being encouraging, um, trying to reach out to a network of his that I thought could perhaps 
be a positive influence and help him during that time since I was a triggering presence, if that makes sense. And uh, just reaching out through family, seeing if, if they could, you know, support him through that process. Um, and, and all in all, like it, I felt like, again, all those efforts failed because he ultimately did take his own life. But, you know, I've reflected on this many times is that I, I think the one thing I can say is that I I felt like I kept trying my best to show up and love somebody despite how painful and hard it was, even if I had to do it in a different way. Like my decision wasn't, you know, one made out of spite or revenge or hate or anything like that. It was true. I love you. And we are meant for better than this. And if we are meant to be somewhere, you know, together again in a different time, then perhaps that's how it, it, you know, it will be. But right now, you know, some kind of cleansing or transformation has to take place Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and uh yeah like the decisions that we take like the difficult one like like the one you took like even though it's it's it seems like on the surface it's very challenging and difficult but it's really um it comes from 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 love and sometimes we need to go through those like experiences so we can really open ourselves to um like more of who we are and also to see the truth behind behind our our um experience as humans and how we connect to each other um mm-hmm. yeah and um i think i also wanted to talk about um another point which is related to the time that we are living in now um and it's um because now with with um because uh, so many of us they are uh, at, at their home and mm-hmm. there is also um how to say lots of fear coming up especially when yes through the media and also when we know like what is happening to so many people around the world and this it it's it creates some kind of how to say it's um we start being in in like a survival mode um yeah and in in that mode like it it becomes maybe not not easy or maybe impossible to to create something or to focus on something that we want to do like for parents create something like if they for their work or their business and kids on, on their um on their studies so um i'd love if you can talk about that and how man- mindfulness can help uh through this through this experience oh yeah definitely my my favorite thing to talk about what i will say and, and i'll just bring up just one small point you know about my my story r- related to my former spouse is that yes. And, and I think this is on point with regarding your question regarding fear is that during this time, I had a lot of fear. I had a, a lot of my neuroscience teacher um, called this and, and taught me that when, when we are in fear that we have these trauma linked brain disorganizations and we can't think clearly, we feel very disorganized. Um, and, and I felt like that. And And, you know, intentionally tuning in to that fear and saying, I'm going to be empowered by this. I will not let this fear take me down. And I like getting really curious about it. And 
and I was able to, you know, kind of transform that fear and feel really empowered by it. And he was really one of my greatest teachers. So I say that to say fear can be one of your greatest teachers of all times. And it's not easy. Okay. So I don't want to make it sound like it's easy. Like, Hey, fear, invite fear over for tea. (laughs) Not at all. It's really challenging, but one of the things mindfulness can help us do is to calm the, the, the nervous system down because what happens when we are in a fear mode that the two parts of the brain that like really work together to help us focus and make really great choices, uh, one part is the prefrontal cortex. That's the most evolved part of our brain. And when we're not in fear, that's working really great. You know, we're able to plan things, to get things done, to focus, um, you know, and do all of these great things that we do as human beings. When we are in fear, we're disconnected from that part of the brain. Fear or anxiety or, you know, where we're feeling very worried about something we're in uh, oftentimes what I teach my students, two colors, uh, like the red zone, which would be the amygdala. And the amygdala is ignited. It's, it's our emotional response center. So when we're experiencing something like COVID-19 in this pandemic that's, you know, going across the world and creating a lot of stress in everyone, and we're in these heightened states of awareness, we want to feel as human beings that we're okay, that we're safe. In fact, you know, another thing that my neuroscience teacher taught me, the one thing that we want to feel, whether as a child or as an adult, is a big resounding yes, like you are there for me. And if we don't have that answered for us, we are in stress response mode. And what that looks like is, like right now, like things are not normal. We are creating and adapting to a new normal. A lot of people aren't in schools or doing school at home. They're doing virtual teaching and learning, you know, where uh, I live in the States and Houston, Texas, you know, it's we're we're wearing masks as a mandate um, to try to flatten the curve of the pandemic. You know, these kinds of things just aren't normal. Social distancing. We love to be social and yet we're having to stay away from people, quarantined in our own homes. So it can create that sense of, The world as I knew it is not actually what it is. So it can, you know, show us perhaps things weren't as safe as we thought. And then, and perhaps there's some, you know, a disillusion there and and that sort of the veil comes down like, oh, it's not what I thought it was. It could really shake up our world and, and keep us in that heightened state of stress in the amygdala where, and a lot of times we're not conscious of it. We're not walking around saying, oh, I'm in fear. What we do instead is we can't get anything done. We're sleeping, you know, either more or less, or we're feeling moody and we don't know why. You know, there's a lot of things that like I just named a few that would indicate perhaps that you're in a stress response mode and you may not feel that all the time. And perhaps you feel that in waves Many people and colleagues and friends I've talked to are what I call we're on the Rona coaster, the coronavirus emotional coaster. And that's normal and natural. You should be feeling that way, right? Because we're going through crisis right now. We're going through uncertainty. It's scary. The world as we knew it is changing. 
And it's also okay. It doesn't mean that it's always going to be like this. So one of the things mindfulness practices does, say, for example, a, a simple breathing exercise as counting breath. It's one I teach to my young students, old students, parents, educators. One I personally use is by putting yourself in as, as, as quiet as a space as possible. I know many of us are sharing spaces with our family or around each other all the time, which is another stressor being around the same people. I mean, we love them, but we can get on each other's nerves being around each other too much. Um, but try to give yourself a quiet space and just, um, you know, take a long, slow, deep breath in through your nose, fill the breath, come in, be expansive through the chest and the ribs, and then exhale, long, slow, deep breath out through the mouth. Once you get that established, then you do a, a count where I start those that are learning a mindfulness breath. You count silently to yourself, staying tall with that rhythmic inhale and exhale, and you count up to three. So inhale, one, two, three, and then you exhale out of the mouth, three, two, and one. And you do that a few times. And to add on, one of my favorite things is if you take your hands and put them on your heart, just stack your hands and put a little compression on your heart space, putting any kind of compression like that on your body is an immediate calm down to your nervous system. Combine that with the breath. What that does is that it has a neurobiological effect to calm your heart rate down, once your heart rate is calmed down and at a slower speed, then your amygdala calms down and it creates the space for your amygdala and your prefrontal cortex, or as I like to call it, colored zones with my younger kids, red zone amygdala, green zone prefrontal cortex. Those two parts of the brain can start working together again, and then we can go into more of a rest and digest mode in our nervous system. Now, is that, does that mean you're going to do a few mindful breaths and everything's going to be amazing? No, but that's a tool that you're going to use consistently or consistently because, you know, the brain's highly adaptable. So as much as, you know, we've been stressed with creating a new normal, the most important thing we can do right now for ourselves is in fact, create a new normal. You know, lots of people are at their own you know, process right now dealing with COVID-19. Some maybe are just coming to terms with the fact that, oh my goodness, this is going to be here to stay. It looks like for quite some time. And I really have to do life differently now. Perhaps somewhere in denial, it's really much akin to a grief process. I was just, I just wrote a piece um, for educators um, entitled, No One Is Actually Learning Because We're All Grieving, where I, where I also explain some of the, a little bit of the brain science as I've explained here. And, you know, but, but when you use that mindful breath, it allows, it's like you're training your mind and your body to go into that space. And if you do that every day, you give yourself, you don't have to give yourself a lot of time. You don't have to go sit and be on a meditation cushion for 30 minutes. If you just give yourself a few minutes, you just practice that simple counting breath I introduced, you're going to help your brain, you know, um, adapt in, in, a, in a healthy way to this fear, to this anxiety um, versus just, you know, not having that tool 
and using other unhealthy coping uh, mechanisms like eating too much, sleeping too much, watching too much TV, scrolling through social media, you know, these things where we like numb out, maybe it's alcohol for you. Maybe it's, you know, whatever that is really an addiction can be anything. It's that you're on it and you're not putting appropriate boundaries around it and you're not dealing with whatever emotion that's coming your way. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It does. Absolutely. And um, I also uh, loved one, one sentence you, you mentioned in uh, one of your recent articles is that we must fully grieve to create something new and spectacular. Ah, so we need to create yeah. more space to the new to, to, um, to, to come. And uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, I was going to say, I think, yeah, thank you for underscoring that. I, 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 and I, I want to do that as well. I think that is so, so important. I think that if we try to rush to, to do whatever it is that we do as humans, like however you're dealing with this and you're trying to rush to like, okay, I'm going to create my new normal and forget that I have this pain or ignore that I have this pain. I think there's a danger in that, you know, and, and particularly, you know, I, like I said, I wrote this piece for educators because for many educators, they had to create virtual classrooms overnight and they have many have children at home and they're also doing virtual classrooms online. There's a lot of stress. We're having to navigate a lot of things and people are dying across the world because of this virus. So I know some out there feel like, it's perhaps like a pain point that doesn't mean a whole lot because, hey, you know, we have a roof over our head, we have food, you know, we're still able to do school. Those are amazing things. Yes, super grateful for them. And, you know, there are people dying because of this virus. I, I think that we don't have to th say that one is more than the other, if that makes sense that it's important that you recognize your grief. Like for me personally, I've had a lot of grief, you know, as an educator that teaches mindfulness in schools, part of the, the magic I feel is seeing my students face to face in the classroom and their joys and, and, and sometimes not their joys, all of it. it. It makes me who I am. And even though I see them virtually, it, it's like part of that magic is it's not the same. It's different. We're trying to make it just as amazing, but it's still different. It's still really hard. So there's grief, there's loss. You know, I'm, I, I cried over that. I remember being on a, a zoom meeting with my team and out of nowhere. And here's what I mean. Like sometimes you are aware, sometimes you're not, but I'm on a meeting and I just break down crying. I have no idea why. And then I realized oh my goodness, I'm experiencing grief. This was right after school closures where I live, where we were navigating that landscape. And it just, there was that loss. There was the, you know, my, my older one plays lacrosse and that was canceled. His school's canceled. There are a lot of, there was so much being canceled. That's part of our norm, our reality. It's, it's something that we've lost and we should rightfully grieve that. And it doesn't mean that just because you know, uh, we, if you want to grade it as a small loss, big loss, it's your loss. And it's a loss that, that makes an impact on your life and how you show up as a parent, as a person in the world. So I think you're right. Like we, we must navigate that grief cycle and fully acknowledge the grief. It will come up in waves 
And 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 then I once we name it, just like in mindfulness, we talk about emotions and naming emotions to tame those emotions. We create the space for new life to enter. When we ignore it, we are resisting what's so, and it's exhausting if that makes sense. And it's really hard to create anything that we truly desire in a space where we, where we are resisting emotionally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's really, really beautiful. And, um, and I feel it's, it's really, it's, it's very uh, related to how uh, mothers can, can um, connect with their uh, kids during this time, because mm. maybe they, they try so hard to be, to show the best of themselves for their kids so they can stay motivated uh, and stay maybe more, um, like feel more, more uh, happier and be able to, um, to either study or, or create the things that they normally do. Um, but in, in those times where mothers feel, um, <clears throat> how to say, like you said, feel this, this uh, feel uh, grieving and they need this time to just express this. How, how um, from your perspective, how to explain this and communicate this to the kids so they can mm. understand what's, what's going on? No, great question, Mansef. It's something I've, I've reached out to, you know, par my parents of my students about, and, and just as a mom practicing myself, one of the best ways we teach our kids is walking in this journey as authentically as possible, you know, to share with your children. Number one, let's start there. I think we, it's important to create a safe space. And what I mean by that, I mean, in an emotionally safe space, like, and it doesn't mean that everybody has to like sit around the table and like, let's talk about emotions. Like that would be weird. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Or maybe not, but building that relationship with, with your kids. And it really depends on the age. We can start with the young ones first because they're not in that weird, awkward stage like teenagers. Like I have an older one and my stepson's younger. So two different ages, but they're so younger. They're much more open. You know, uh, there's not as many walls up and, and you can, you know, say, Hey, you know, there's this pandemic and there's this virus that we're all concerned about. And, and it brings fear up in me, you know, and, fear it it's this you know and name that emotion like i feel like i'm like i'm scared of something and and you ask them like oh, you know are is there something that you're scared of and kids will name all kinds of things that they're scared of and then you're like and you say yeah like that and uh, and i know like that scary feeling it's not always going to be like that but when i feel that way i just feel like i just i'm not being my best self during that moment and I want you to know that if you feel that scary feeling or you're worried, that it's okay. You can feel that. And it's not always going to feel like that. And we're going to get through this together. And I think that's a great way to, to talk with your kids about it and, and to also give them examples and not try to put on some face or facade. So if you're feeling upset about something, uh, it's okay to talk to them about it, to say, hey, I'm, I feel upset about this. I am worried about it. And I also know that we've lived a long time on this planet Earth, and we're going to get through this. We just have to do, you know, live in a different way for a little while. And, and I think you have those open conversations. You really, really create some strong bonds, and you're really helping your kids understand emotional resilience and intelligence 
helping them really understand the emotion. Emotions, you know, we often throw that word out, but it's it's kind of complicated because most of the time we think we're either just happy or angry, right? Like we're sad or something like that. But if we if we really understand like the emotion that we're feeling, it's just hard. We have to kind of get curious about it. So, you know, just even having that conversation with your kids, like, oh man, I was really angry, but you know is that I'm really, really sad because we're not living life like we normally have been living. And that makes me really sad. Like my heart's broken. Like I really lost something and kids get that. And teens are going to get that too. You know, you may not be able to just go to them and start having those conversations. It really depends on your relationship with your teen. But what I've noticed with my teen is when they open up about things, um, just the smallest things, that's almost like a doorway, you know, to, to, to talk about that emotional piece. Or, you know, sometimes I go directly to my teen and say, hey, look, you know, things are changing all the time with COVID-19 updates. So that in itself is stressful. So as we get new updates, for instance, like I said, we have a, a new, uh, we're still at stay-at-home orders right now. They expire uh, at the end of April, so real soon. But they're only opening things back up in our city very, very slowly with some strict guidelines. And when we go out in public, like I said, we have to wear a mask. And, and so that's really different. And, and I talked to my teen about it and, and just going to them to talk to them about like, hey, how are you feeling about this? I know it's hard for you not to be able to see your friends right now. And, and it, uh, reminding them it won't always be this way, but we also don't know when this will end in a way that we feel like it, we can get past it and kind of go back to what we thought life was before. In some sense, life the way we knew it isn't going to happen again because that's in the past and we're creating you know, new things every day. So there's always also that possibility of like, we can create things even better now, but how will they be? I don't know. It depends on how we, each of us show up uh, in, in our thoughts and our emotions will make the biggest difference for us and for our families. I hope that makes sense. And that answered your question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It, it does. And uh, yeah, I really love your, your, your answer because um, like when mothers like, um, act uh, authentically authentically it's it's like they are an example for their kids um and mm-hmm. they they show them that it's okay to be authentic and live their life in that way um and th- this will really change the way they uh, they connect to others and also the way they create what they love um in in their life um and yeah and and we need like more and more of authenticity in in our societies um and uh yeah so mothers can really can really do um, help a lot and contribute so much to to this um, by being an example. So um, yeah, uh, thank you so I much. Mean, stuff, I mean, one thing I wanted to add to, I'm sorry. Yes. You know, you can say all you want to your kids, but if you're not practicing it, there's a huge disconnect. And they're really watching you, whether they're five or 15 or 20, to know how you're living your life, how you're dealing with your emotions. That's how they're really learning from you. It's your actions that matter. Yes, your words matter, but it's what you do 
that speaks volumes to our kids. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, that's so beautiful. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much, Athea. Um, mm. Thank you for everything you shared. Yeah, that, that was really, really amazing call. Really loved it and it was really inspiring. And uh, um, yeah, before we end um, our call today, do you have maybe any message to our audience who are mothers? Um, yeah. Yeah, message to moms out there. Moms, you know, you are beautiful and amazing warriors. And you have so much, you have all the answers that you need deep within your spirit. And you've just got to slow down, tune in what I, I call the awesome sauce, that, that spark of light inside of you. Slow down and breathe and, and connect to that space and everything that you ever want to know, how to parent, how to move forward. The next step, you will find it there in that space and trust you're a sparkly warrior within. And you were made to do really hard things. You're a mom, you're a warrior of courage. And, and you, you know, no matter what you're faced with, you've got this. Slow down, tune in, take a breath, tune into your awesome sauce, and then you'll be able to spread it to those that you're raising, to those that you're in relationship with, to those that you're working with, to everyone in your life and in the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so beautiful. Thank you so much, Athea. Um, very grateful to you again for, for being here with us today uh, on the podcast. Um, and um, yeah, so, so everyone also thank you so much for joining us today and listening to us. And um, yeah, as always, we would love to hear your feedback and your suggestions um, about the show and also um, what you want to see more in, 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 in the coming episodes. So um, again, you can find um, Athia on her website, soulsenseyoga.com, soulsenseyoga.com. And that's um, soul, S-O-L, sense. S-E-N-S-E, -E, yoga, Y-O-G-A dot com. Um, yeah, so, so that's everyone. I'm sending you so much love and I will see you on the next episode. If you'd like to learn more about our other events, you can go to weriseinlove.com. We rise in love.com. <laughs>